Welcome to the QAV podcast. My name is Cameron. This is a weekly investing podcast where I chat with my friend Tony. Tony's a very successful investor. He's been doing it for about 30 years. His returns on average are about double the market over that period of time. And he's able to get those returns because he developed a system of value investing that we call QAV, quality at value. How do you find good quality companies and how do you buy them at a discount to their intrinsic value? It's basically a scoring system. We look at the fundamentals of the companies and that's what we teach our club members. Uh, In terms of the podcast, we have a free episode each week, goes for about half an hour. That's what you're listening to now. We have a longer episode, usually goes for an hour to an hour and a half. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode. So anyway, let's get into this week's show. All right, let's do this. Cam by himself, Cam Solo. That's my new name, Cam Solo. Episode 652 of QAV, my annual tradition, doing Christmassy episodes without Tony. He's chillaxing, playing golf down at his Cape Shank property. Give him a couple of weeks off to de-stress. I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. Uh, In previous years, I've done compilations of things that I thought were interesting topics over the previous 12 months. This time, instead of me choosing the most interesting points, I've asked my new best friend, ChatGPT, to come up with a list of the most interesting topics that we've discussed this year. How did I do that, you might ask? Well, I'll explain a little bit later on. Uh, Also, in this episode and next week's episode, we've got pulled porks from Tony that we pre-recorded last week. Uh, This week's will be on E-Road, E-R-D. That's coming up soon. But before I get into that, let's talk about what's happened in the market uh, since our last episode. Now, I'm recording this on Boxing Day, Tuesday, the 26th of December, 2023, while my family is out doing family-type things. I've taken the opportunity in a quiet little house. Merry Christmas, by the way. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. I hope you had a safe Christmas, didn't get caught up in the storms that hit the east coast of Australia. Um, But the market's closed. It was closed yesterday, obviously, Christmas Day. It's closed today. So there's nothing really to talk about in terms of what's happening this week yet. But last week, we had a couple of uh, really sort of serious declines from stocks, some that we own, some that we don't. Keeping in trend, Tony asked me not to make fun of his uh, pulled pork curses, but i got to mention call lithium uh, because he said not to buy it, you know, because lithium was down. But not long after we put out the call lithium pulled pork last week, it plunged 22% in a day after the company announced it was reviewing its business strategy with the lithium price tumbling. So Tony did say on the episode he wouldn't be buying it right now, wait until the lithium price recovered. But there were some other stocks that we do own that took a massive hit last week when they mentioned profit guidance. First one I'll talk about is CLX, CTI Logistics. It said on the 21st of December that its profit before tax for the half year to 31st of December 2023 is expected to be approximately 30% lower 
when compared to the previous corresponding period for the half year to the 31st of December 2022. Quoting here from their uh, letter, as reported, the result for the previous corresponding period benefited from increased demand for premium freight services due to supply chain disruptions and natural disasters, as well as customers incurring additional transport and warehouse storage costs to ensure their product was closer to the point of sale, the current half-year reporting period has seen a normalisation of customer supply chains consistent with the half-year to 30th of June 2023, with fewer supply chain disruptions and less consequent demand for premium freight services. Which all sounds quite reasonable, I guess, but the share market didn't think so. Share price took about a 7% hit uh, the next day, dropped from $1.54 down to $1.41, recovered a little bit to $1.43 when it closed on Friday. We do hold it in the dummy portfolio, and I nearly had to sell it, but I think it's... uh, Three-point trend line is $1.36. Didn't quite go down that far. When it recovered, it's now at uh, 4% profit for us. We've held it since November 2022 in the dummy portfolio. It had been doing rather well. Now, not so well. We'll see what happens. One that I did have to sell was MTO, Motorcycle Holdings. Same day, 21st of December. They came out with underlying EBITDA guidance, Motorcycle Holdings Limited, one of Australia's leading retailers, blah, blah, blah. Today provides an update in relation to expected earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization for the six months ending the 31st of December 2023. They said they expected to report an underlying EBITDA of between $14 million and $16 million for the six months. The wholesale sales of farm vehicles are slowing with increased competition as stock levels for all distributors normalize. The competitive environment is putting pressure on margins. While retail unit sales of new motorcycles remain strong, wider economic conditions are driving margin pressures affecting all areas of the business. It fell 28% when that news hit. Recovered a little bit, but not enough to save it. We owned it in a couple of portfolios, and I took a between a 14 and a 16% loss by the time I woke up to how much it had fallen. Blew through our rule ones in all of those cases. The third instance last week was ASG. Not exactly sure what happened to this one. Jonathan, in the club chat, Mentioned someone in the market was selling two large batches, 100,000 shares and 200,000 shares. Uh, but it, you know, on the 20th, it was trading at $2.34, closed out roughly. It opened at $2.23 and then continued to fall down to $2.20 before recovering on the 22nd. Friday finished up about $2.32, not far below where it was on Wednesday, but. We managed to avoid having to sell that one. We hold it in a number of portfolios. It's up 6 7 8%, 9% across those portfolios. We bought around $2, somewhere between $2.13 and $2.18, depending on the portfolio, back. Uh, well, one of them actually since August 22, we bought it at $2.15. Some of the others we bought early 2023. But it just goes to show you how 
you know, quickly, some of these stocks can change, particularly when profit guidance comes along at the end of the year. And sometimes you just take a hit on them. But as my analysis showed when I did it a month or so ago, our rule ones and our three-point trend line uh, sell triggers tend to save us from any disasters. Sometimes they go up after we sell them uh, quickly. Sometimes they go down even further after we sell them. Like, um, well, I can't think of any examples recently, but there's been a few. Anyway, we will see how that pans out. One other idea I had that I'm going to pursue over the course of 2024, but I'm going to start it today. There's a there's an author, Morgan Housel, H-O-U-S-E-L, that we've talked about a few times on the show, Stephen Mab, Chairman Mab has uh, mentioned to uh, mentioned him to me a number of times, a couple of his books that uh, Stephen's a big fan of. Morgan is a partner at something called the Collaborative Fund, former columnist at the Motley Fool and the Wall Street Journal, and he's written a number of uh, popular books like The Psychology of Money. But I found um, a blog post of his that I thought was kind of cool, 100 Little Ideas. This is a post from February 2020. He says, a list of ideas in no particular order and from different fields that help explain how the world works. Now, I thought this was interesting building on top of the Charlie Munger quotes that I had. Uh, you know, Charlie was a big fan of models for understanding the world. Perhaps coincidentally, he said that there was about 100 models that you needed to understand. I'm not sure if they're the same 100 as Morgan's 100, but I thought each week I'd take one of these over the course of, well, I guess it'll take me a couple of years to get through them, and we can just talk about one of them. I'll do it with TK when he's on the show, but I found these interesting, and I think you will too. So the first one is depressive realism. He says, depressed people have a more accurate view of the world because they're more realistic about how risky and fragile life is, the opposite of blissfully unaware. Now, um, I don't consider myself a depressive realist or a depressed person. I'm the opposite of that. Very upbeat person, but I do consider myself a realist. Having had several failed startups and marriages over the course of my life, I'm very realistic about the chances of success for most uh, things. But um, I'm going to combine this with my latest party trick. I pull this out at parties. I pulled it out for Tony when we caught up for a Christmas lunch with his family a few weeks ago when they were in Brisbane. Um, it's demonstrating ChatGPT4V. This is the version of ChatGPT4 that you can get on your, your phone or your iPad. The V stands for vision and or voice. This is the version that came out a few months ago where you can take photos of things and it will tell you what's in the photo. But you can also talk to it. And one of the things I've discovered just around, you know, going to parties, Christmas time, that kind of stuff, subject of AI, inevitably comes up because I introduce it into every conversation. Um, oh, that's an interesting field of work you're in. How's AI going to impact that this year, do you think? And people usually say the exact same thing, which, oh, it's not going to have any impact at all, and which I laugh, and then I laugh and, uh, <laughs> and say, really? Wow. Okay. That's uh, very confident of you. You need a little bit more depressive realism, perhaps. Um, and I asked them if they've heard the latest version of it talking to you. And uh, inevitably, they say they haven't. 
And so I pull my phone out of my pocket and I say, check this out. So um, I'm going to start a conversation with ChatGPT about depressive realism and let's see what it has to say. Tell me a little bit about the concept of depressive realism. Depressive realism is a fascinating concept. It challenges the common belief that optimism equates to a more accurate view of reality. Essentially, it suggests that people with mild to moderate depression often have a more realistic perception of their abilities, outcomes, and control over events compared to non-depressed individuals. This idea was introduced in the late 1970s by psychologists Lauren Alloy and Lynn Yvonne Abramson. They found that those with depression made more accurate predictions about their influence in events, while non-depressed individuals tended to overestimate their control. It flips the script on how we usually think about mental health and perception. Instead of assuming that depression skews reality negatively, it proposes that maybe depression strips away the rose-colored glasses, revealing the world more truthfully. But remember, this doesn't mean depression is good or desirable. It's a complex and multifaceted condition, and depressive realism is just one intriguing aspect of it. So for those of us that aren't depressed, how might we apply the learnings of depressive realism in our everyday lives? Applying the principles of depressive realism in everyday life, especially for those who aren't depressed, involves a careful balance. You're not looking to become pessimistic, but rather to cultivate a more realistic and perhaps slightly more skeptical view of the world. Here's how you might do it. One, question optimism bias. We often have an innate optimism bias, thinking things will work out better for us than for others. Challenge this by considering realistic outcomes and preparing for them. Two, embrace uncertainty. Depressive realism suggests a better grasp of uncertainty. Acknowledge that you can't control everything and be open to various outcomes. Three, reflect on self-assessment. Sometimes we overestimate our abilities or influence. Reflect on your strengths and weaknesses honestly without the usual self-enhancement bias. Four, seek diverse perspectives. Engage with viewpoints different from your own, especially from people who might see the world less optimistically. This can provide a more balanced perspective. Five, mindful optimism. Maintain a positive outlook, but grounded in reality. It's about hoping for the best while being prepared for less favorable outcomes. Six, avoid extremes. Neither extreme pessimism nor extreme optimism is desirable. Aim for a middle ground where you're hopeful yet realistic. Remember, the goal isn't to adopt a depressive mindset, but to incorporate a more balanced, realistic view of life's uncertainties and our own capabilities. It's about enhancing decision-making and perception without losing the benefits of a positive outlook. So there you go. Maybe I will call my mindset blissful realism as opposed to depressed realism. Uh, I don't know what you thought about that audio demonstration. There's about half a dozen voices that you can pick with ChatGPTV. But they, the, the key thing is they all sound extremely realistic with pauses, ums and ahs. Those of you that listened when I – the last time I used ChatGPT to uh, do a fill-in episode, which I think was about six months ago, I had to create my own text-to-speech generator answers that were nowhere near as realistic as the one that OpenAI came out with using their own tech a month or two ago. So – if that's how good it is now, imagine how good it's going to be a year from now. And it, it makes me laugh now whenever I watch a science fiction film 
when you hear robots talking to people and they all sound like this, how quickly with the advent of AI we've gone from that to uh, extremely realistic sounding uh, voice interactions. Imagine that uh, a year or two from now in terms of tech support. You do telephone tech support or web-based tech support, you'll be able to have natural language conversations with the website of the business that you're trying to get support from. It'll be completely plugged into all of their information, all of your customer information, everything about their side of the business, and it'll be able to talk to you in just natural language about what your need or requirement is and what they can do to help you. It's going to be, in a, I think, a, an amazingly enhanced customer service experience across the board. Okay, well, let me throw to Tony now with his pulled pork on ERD. And then when I come back, I'll do a couple of highlights from 2023 as selected by ChatGPT. Another request from Jim I can do now is E-Road. This is a company I'm not familiar with. It doesn't get much coverage. It, um, it's a New Zealand company, so it doesn't have, really have much of a profile in the Australian um, analyst community or press, financial press. Interesting company, though, and, and um, was great fun to research. It's a, I guess you could sum it up as being a transportation technology company um, or, or a fleet management telematics company, but basically does a couple of things. But one of the, one of the main ones, which seems to be getting legs in New Zealand, and inroads into Australia and importantly North America, is they they put um, a little device in in the truck or a or a car that's part of a company's fleet uh, that transmits data back to software and uh, the the fleet manager can you know look at whether the fleet's being optimized properly um, and save on fuel usage and other utilization costs. So. Interesting sort of company. I think this technology may have been pioneered by the insurance companies because I know when I was in Canada, uh, our insurance company sent me such a device to put in the car and it was meant to send data back to the insurance company who would then decide whether, you know, uh, they would risk-based price my insurance based on how carefully I drove or, or, or not. So I put my price up if I was a rev head and put it down if I was safe. Um, we didn't stay in Canada enough long enough to get any data from that, but um, that was an interesting concept. Similar one being used in, um, in by this company. Uh, looks like it may have had a history in uh, a particular uh, thing that happens in New Zealand called road user charging, which happens in Australia too, but um, everyone pays through it uh, through the Bowser through the petrol price, um, which they do in New Zealand as well. But once a car, once a truck reaches above a certain tonnage, which I think is about three and a half tonnes, then, you know, they're deemed to be a heavy user of the road and uh, sometimes they, they're seen as being a cause of potholes and, and more damage to the roads than smaller vehicles and so they have to get a licence called a road user charge. And um, so it's a cost per thousand kilometres and they sort of buy them based on what they think they'll need. Uh, and it's all up in the historically it's been a manual system. You go in and apply for a licence based on what you think you'll need pay a cost, stick a license on your window, and it can be monitored by um, you know, transport authorities, I guess at Weybridges or something like that, to see you know what you've, how much you've travelled and, and if you paid the right license. Very manual process and probably not that effective, I wouldn't have thought. Um, but this company uh, has been able to elect electronically um, improve that process of road user charging 
And there are other uses. So there are other countries in the world that do this, and there are other countries that do things like, you know, in the city of London, you pay a charge if you drive your car into the CBD, that kind of thing. So there is other applications for road user, electronic road user charging and tolling um, than just in Auckland or, or in New Zealand. So um, they, this could be exported. But it seems like the main part of the business is in this fleet management telematics, which is very interesting. Um, the company can report on things for a fleet manager, as for example, as to whether or how often the vehicles go over um, go over speed limits, um, which is not just about avoiding fines, but if you think about it, that's a, a heavy use of fuel if a truck is revving up to go over um, the speed limit. And, and there's been reports and case studies showing that uh, the fleet can save 20% in fuel costs by keeping the vehicles under the speed limit, just getting information about that. But also things like um, whether the cold chain storage is being optimised, um, whether you're better loading trucks with the stuff already refrigerated or, or paying the cost to refrigerate them by running the, the motor heavier in the truck, that kind of thing. Um, and also to just utilisation. So are the drivers taking the most the optimal um, directions to their deliveries or or not? So, yeah, I can see the benefit of this. Um, it's starting to get some high-profile users. So I think they list Borel in Australia as one of their um, one of the companies that use it, and they have a fleet of cement trucks. Uh, another company in Australia called Program, which I think used to be called Program Maintenance and may have been listed on the ASX. Uh, they have a company called Cisco in the US, which S-Y-S-C-O, not the router company, oh. but the company that delivers um, wholesale food and and equipment to restaurants, which has a big fleet of vehicles in the US. So it's, it's gaining some traction and growing. They recently did a capital raise to um, put them on a better financial footing, but also to help fund expansion. So uh, that may happen again because um, they're, they're pretty much running at uh, least um, break-even, I guess, a lot of the costs in this company are in R&D to improve their telematics and their. And they've recently signed a, a partnership deal with Microsoft to use AI to troll through the data and give them other insights that they can pass on to their fleet managers. So uh, currently, I think R&D was running at about um, 12%, I think, of, of sales. Uh, it's, it's, it's high, but it's shrinking as a percentage of sales. Um which makes sense, and it looks like that's where they've been putting their spare profits into, which also makes sense for a growing company. So, yeah, interesting company, interesting um, what they're doing. Uh, you can see definite uses um, for it. Um, however, still a small New Zealand company. I think its market cap's around $180 million. ADT for this company is, is small. Um, just try and find that. ADT, okay, ADT is, yeah, $50,748. So uh, it's not going to suit everyone. It's a small company. Um, it's recently gone across its three PTL buy, so that's a, a good thing. Uh, and uh, what else can I say about the numbers? It's just the it's share price for the analysis is $0.97.5, cents, which is just above consensus target. Um and it doesn't have an IV1 and IV2 because the current earnings per share was negative, so we can't calculate. It doesn't have a yield because everything's going back into R&D. Um, Stock Doctor Financial Health has it as early warning and steady. Um, that makes sense, I guess, if it's a growing company and plowing money into its growth, it's not going to have a strong financial position. Um, 
I guess that's reflected in the current PE, which is 4,000 times. We can't really score it on that. Um, but however, the prop calf is 5.7 times. So that suggests it's, it is getting a lot of sales. They're coming in, but going back into um, growing the business or R&D research. Uh, net equity per share, $1.43, um, which is below its share price. So that's good. Um NTA, though, however, is only $0.21 cents per share. So that usually means that there's a fair amount of goodwill on the balance sheet, and that's probably the case because I know this company has a, acquired a number of companies along the way and, and put them together into this sort of data management, um, fleet management company. So that, uh, even though we score it for being below net equity per share, it is above net tangible assets with its share price. Um we don't have a forecast growth available, so I can't score it on that, but um, management are calling out growth. Obviously, they're in growth mode, so I'd expect that to be the case, but we can't can't score it. So our scoring is perhaps a little low by that metric. Um, directors only hold 2%, which I thought was interesting. Again, I would have thought to be an owner-founder in a company like this, but we're not seeing it, so we can't score it for that. It's a recent buy on the buy list, so we score it for that. Uh, it almost had consistently increasing equity, but I think there was one half where it went down slightly, so we can't score it for that, but it was pretty close. So all in all, quality is 7 out of 15 or 47%, um, but as I said, there could be a, a couple of scores we could add back to that in time. QAV score is 0 0.08, uh, so just below, again, our cutoff of 0.1, but um, wouldn't take much of a share price you know, decline by a cent or two to bring it back onto the buy list or you just wait for further results in the future. Um, risks for this one, I think, you know, you've got to call out the fact it's a small company based in New Zealand and it's growing. So it's going to find, it's going to have all the normal risks you have buying these kinds of stocks. Um, they may do another capital raise for an acquisition or to fund working capital or whatever. Um, so that's that's always on the card with these companies. Uh it does seem like though that, that that's been paid back because the share price is, is, is up. Uh, since the raise was done. Um, I think probably the biggest risk that I can see for a company like this is barrier to entry. So like I said, those those vehicle monitoring units were uh, being used by the insurance companies in Canada and North America. Uh, looks like it's a similar type unit that they're selling. So if the units are readily available, then it really comes down to how good is their um, fleet management intel, I think. It does do other things like it does sell dashboard cams and allow um, you know incident review if there's been an incident they can review the video recorded from the dashboard cam. But again, they're they're also readily available in the market. So I think the real IP for this company is on how good its um, fleet management intel is. And you know you wonder how long it would take a US company to reverse engineer that um, and go after that market as well. So that, I think that's probably the biggest risk for this company. Um, you know, if they are well established in the market and they are, they seem to be that they're getting like a 90% plus uh, re sign up from companies that use their service. So that's a good thing. But you wonder how long it would take for someone else to come into the market with similar sort of software um, using units they can probably buy cheaply and send out to cars and, uh, and fleet managers for their, for their cars and trucks uh, and then start to develop their own fleet management intel as well, perhaps using AI. So, yeah, it's certainly worth looking at, but um, it has all the usual sort of small company risks associated with a growing company like this. So that's E-Road. What, 
how big their moat is, in other words. Yeah, that's right. How big is their moat? Thank you, Tony. Yeah, they've uh, been a good performer um, in my portfolios. I added them to one of the light portfolios just on the 22nd mm. of November, and it's up 36% since then, a little bit less than a month. Added them to another portfolio on the 7th of uh, December, one of the Stockopedia portfolios, up 7% since then. But um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, and that's why they're probably off the bottom of the buy list now because the, the price has had a run. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But while he's not, we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episode. And if you have any questions, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.